Get ready to be inspired today. Join me on a jury of triumph over challenges as we delve into the remarkable life of Jessica Cox. From becoming the first licensed armless pilot to mastering taekwondo and scuba diving, Jessica's story is a testament to resilience and determination. A motivational speaker and advocate, she shares her journey globally, inspiring millions to overcome adversity. Where did you find the grit and the ambition to make what you've done with your life? Well, it's it's hard to really think back where I found that grit and ambition because being born without arms, this is all I've ever known. And for me, this was the beginning. I think I witnessed my parents. My mother was the great example of grit for sure. Uh, and she gave me that example and that role model to follow after and know that I could work hard to do things and accomplish my dreams and to go out there and, and do things and be excited about new opportunities. And that was my life from the beginning. I mean, at the very early part of my life, it was difficult because I didn't really come to terms with the fact that I was different from everyone else. I was different from my brother and sister and best friends and classmates, and it felt very isolating to be different. But I began to really learn to do things in a way, uh, adapt to my not having arms by using my toes and my feet as my hands and my fingers. And they developed into everything I needed to fully functional and to function independently, to live my life as any child would, doing things from feeding myself to writing letters that you learn to write in kindergarten and first grade and doing all those different milestones uh, that you go through as a child. Well, that's that's an amazing jury for you. Was there a particular reason that you did not try to use prosthetic arms? I did use prosthetic arms for 11 years. I was first fitted by the Shriners Hospital, so I have a lot of gratitude for the Shriners and the fact that they came to my parents and said, you know, here's an option. Uh, my mom was instilled with hope, knowing that these prosthetics could provide me the opportunity that she felt that I needed to have. So we, I went through therapy for hours and hours to learn how to write with them, to learn how to eat with them, to put them on myself and take them off and, and do everything to function with these prosthetics. And I gave it a good 11 years and decided finally I had enough. There was nothing that could substitute flesh and bone. And that's what my feet and toes had for me. They, I could feel something, whether it was rough, smooth, hot or cold. And that substitution was not available with prosthetics, no matter how hard I, I tried. That was just not, it didn't function in the same way that I could with my feet. That's interesting. So how did you find the patience to learn to do the things that you've done? I just watched your TED Talk from Tel Aviv. And your opening sentence is absolutely fascinating and talking about tying your shoes with your toes. And so that's it's hard for able bodied people with two hands and 10 fingers to learn a lot of these things. Yet you must have put so much time into this. Let me tell you, patience is not something I really have. You could ask my husband. My husband's the patient one. But I had to learn that perseverance and persistence was going to win and that it may not be easy right away to get at basically tying those shoelaces 
took me longer because I started with my feet inside the shoe, but that didn't serve me because I needed my toes free to tie the laces because my toes were my fingers. And so I took my feet out of the shoe and tied the bow from the outside with my toes. And it took me hundreds of tries. I got it to work though. And, I, and it taught me that I'm gonna have to do things differently from other people. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's being creative, it's being innovative. It's finding a different solution. And that's my life, is, is looking for the solutions in the roundabout way. I understand that. About 12 years ago, I ended up in a coma for three months. And uh, when I woke up, I was a quadriplegic. And uh, it took me almost a year. They said I'd never use my hands or my feet. And I'd never walked for sure. And uh, 18 months of therapy, and I managed to now walk three to 4,000 steps a day uh, using a cane. But uh, I can tell you what you went through, I do totally understand. And it, that takes a lot of, a lot of practice, a lot of humiliation, trial and error. Well, I commend you too. You know, your story, you had the abilities and then had to learn how to relive, you know, relearn to do things in a different way. And, and for me, I, I think because I was born this way, in a way, it was almost a little easier because this is the only choice I had and I didn't know what it was like to have arms and hands. So it's almost a different situation. So I really think what your story and your triumph is, is a, a wonderful example of overcoming and, and that. Um, so, so happy to hear. That's, that's wonderful. I hope you have a book because I'd like to read it. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. Awesome. <laughs> so being a motivational speaker, uh, you'll appreciate this. And building Remax, I traveled about 220, 250 days a year speaking for over 35 years. And so, so I've spoken to 6 million people live in 35 different countries in my career with Remax. And so to me, uh, when I woke up from the coma, uh, I asked the doctors, what's my mental capacity? And they said, well, it's probably about kindergarten. And so several months later, I asked them again, I said, how am I progressing mentally? And they said, well, we've got you about up to high school. And I said, well, there's not much more after that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the thing that was funny though, is uh, even with that attitude, I called my TV producer at uh, Remax. We have our own satellite television network, et cetera. And I said, we, we're not gonna miss this opportunity. I've got new material. I want you to film me in my recovery and I wanna use it as a motivational uh, prop to teach people how to come back from a doctor saying, you're paralyzed the rest of your life to where I can walk out of this place. And uh, they found me a ghost writer by the name of Laura Morton. I don't know if you know Laura or not. She's a fabulous writer, 60-some books, 19 bestsellers. So she was with me at that time and with my limited mental function. And uh, she wrote a beautiful book for me. And it worked really well. So uh, I made a lifetime of friends from people that she's written about. Amazing. Wow. That is that is so awesome. I, I, I would love to get pointers, too, from you on your speaking, considering how many million people you've spoken to. That would always, I always look for those gems as well. 
Well, we're going to sit down and visit in person. Yes. So why did you decide you wanted to learn how to fly? It sounds crazy, but I was actually terrified of flying. I was mortified. <clears throat> the moment I took off in a commercial plane, I would get so tense that by the end of the flight, I'd have a tension headache. So I'm not a natural flyer. And I think it's it goes back to my childhood and that I didn't like losing contact with the ground. It, it reminded me of all those times I fell on my face or fell and hit, hurt myself because I didn't have the arms to catch myself. So it was always in my mind that I needed to stay solid, grounded in the, you know, grounded uh, and, and not lose contact with the, with the floor, with the ground. And so when I flew uh, for the first time in a single engine airplane, I, I was, you know, scared. I was terrified. But on that first flight, I made the commitment that I wanted to overcome this fear. And I wanted to become a pilot, no matter what that meant. Um, I wasn't, you know, thinking about the, the, the setbacks, but I was thinking about the goal. And the goal was I want to become a pilot. And it was about around, about the time I was out of college. So it gave me the opportunity to have the scheduling available. Um, I had time, energy. It was just the cost because, as you know, flying is an expensive hobby. So I had to find scholarships and grants to, to help me do that. But I wanted to become the first armless pilot certified by the Federal Aviation Administration and it was a journey to get there. It was first of all finding an instructor, finding an airplane, finding how to go about it with the Federal Aviation Administration, and and then all this, and then not to mention all the physical tasks of flying a plane, like landing, which is harder than anything else in in flying. <laughs> so it was it was it was a journey, but it was well worth it um, to show others that if I can do this, there is so much more that they can do as well. That's fascinating. So what mindset do you think you have to take on the challenges like taekwondo, flying, scuba diving? By the way, I, I do all those things. I love that you're an adventurous spirit. So we'll have to, again, meet up and talk about these uh, adventures. I think that a part of who I am, and that's the no arms aside, a, a part of who I am is, is someone who cannot sit still, who has a zest to try something new. I'm even looking for things to do in Colorado Springs while I'm here in Denver. Um, so it's always something exciting to look forward to, a new opportunity. That's who I am. I enjoy adventure. So why did you decide to get involved with Taekwondo? Taekwondo was, well, for those who are not familiar, Taekwondo, and I know you are familiar because we just chatted about this before the interview, but Taekwondo puts a lot of emphasis on kicks, and it is the martial art that does more kicking than the others. So for me, it was a perfect fit. And my mom decided to enroll my brother, my sister, and myself in Taekwondo with that plan of setting myself up and my siblings with a way to defend ourselves. And that was, you know, just a parental type thing that they they wanted, they she wanted us to be able to defend ourselves if we had to. And lo and behold, it became a hobby, uh, a lifetime hobby for me. It was the reason that I was able to meet my husband. I'm now a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo. I earned a state champion title in my division, not a special division. So I chose not to compete in a special division, but a special division for people with disabilities. I chose to compete in a division that had people without disabilities. And I ended up getting state champion 
in 2014. So it's been a part of my life. I still continue to practice Taekwondo. It keeps me fit. It keeps my flexibility, which using your legs and feet as hands and arms, you have to have that. So will you share your personal love story of falling in love with your Taekwondo instructor? I had the opportunity to do a, basically I was invited to do a demonstration in front of world championships. This is in front of like 6,000 people. And I had to get some extra training. So I found a school that my old friend was instructing it at. And her co-instructor was my now husband. And I ended up meeting him there at the school, but you cannot date your students in, in a Taekwondo school setting. So he had moved on to a different school. And that was a time that he finally got the hint that I, that I liked him. And, and he asked me out to, to dinner and, and the, and the rest is history. And, and, you know, he, he always says that when I first walked into the Taekwondo school, it actually, he thought I was being rude because he saw my sleeves that were empty. And my friend who was teaching with him came up to me to give me a big hug. And she wrapped her arms around me to give me a hug. I hadn't seen her in 10 years. And I didn't return the hug according to him because he thought I had arms tucked inside my sweatshirt. But he then found out that I was, I obviously didn't have arms and he was actually mistaken me for being, uh, for being rude. But that was the first start of our, uh, relationship is his, his first impression of me was that I was rude. <laughs> but the impossible airplane. Tell us about that project. So I am so thrilled and excited to launch something that has never been done before. Myself and an amazing team of volunteers are coming together to build an RV-10 airplane. This is a four-seater single-engine airplane, and it is a kit, meaning this is something many other um, pilots who build their own airplanes, they do this regularly. They receive parts and pieces of an airplane in a big crate, and they build this up. And some people, it takes a lifetime to build a plane, some people a decade, others do it quickly. And a team of people are helping me use this kit to build an RV-10 and it will be the first airplane in history that can be flown with feet alone. So it'll be modified for foot controls all on the floor to make it easier for me to fly so I can fly longer distances, so that I can fly children with disabilities and inspire them that anything's possible. And we are hoping to finish this plane. We're calling it Project 2025. So we're looking for people to help us make this a reality so that we can continue to inspire the world and I can continue to share that message. Disability doesn't mean inability. That's awesome. It's, uh, it's great to use your life as an example to other people of what they can accomplish. Think back on everything you've accomplished. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of my faith and the person that I have become because I really, for the longest time in my life, was very insecure about my difference and self-conscious about my not having arms and what that meant. And what that meant is I was, I'd get stares. I'd get stares, people commenting, um, people, even kids, you know, bullying me at times in school. But now I've become this person that has embraced this gift from God and used it in a way to do things that if I had best arms in the world I could not do. So I've seen this as a real gift and it has been a blessing now to be able to share my story and help people overcome, help give hope, inspire, 
and touch lives in the way that if I had arms, I would never have been, been able to do. Um, it's taken me to 28 countries around the world as a speaker uh, because people want to hear the story of, of, of the first armless pilot of overcoming adversity. And now I've spoken to thousands of people and it's it's just a blessing. I think for me, it's, it's that journey of self-acceptance that we all have, no matter who we are and what we are born with, we have to come to that full acceptance of ourselves. And for me, that journey is what I'm most proud of, even more proud of than flying a plane with my feet. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I really respect everything you've accomplished. It's just a remarkable story. And I appreciate it, Jessica, that you were on the podcast with me. And uh, I think this is going to be fascinating. How would you like people to be able to contact you if they want more information, your speaking events, or just to follow you? I would love it if people would like to contact me because right now we're in the midst of this amazing project, building the first ever airplane that can be flown with feet. And we can't do it without our supporters. So if you would like to go to, please, please go to www.theimpossibleairplane.com and you can find out all about it and about how we're trying to make this project a reality. And if you'd like to hire me for speaking engagements, you can go to jessicacox.com.